0: Welcome to Discovering You, a podcast that explores the intricacies of personality and how it impacts the way we navigate through life. What will you discover today? Hi, listeners. Hi, Heather. Hi. Today, we have something special for you. If you're new to this podcast, this is the perfect episode to start with as its highlights from the past year. If you hear something that captures your attention, you can go to that full episode and check it out. And for our regular, loyal listeners, you'll recognize snippets from our most liked episodes with some memorable, fun, even silly moments. We've listened to you, so the most popular episodes are featured today. But first, let's do this month's disc according to. Any ideas of what it may be? The new year is only days away, so I give you disc as New Year's resolutions. High D. Their resolutions are going to be conquering a goal, for instance, running a marathon or beating their past race time. High Eyes. We know our eyes enjoy socializing and partying. And so coming off the holiday season, they're likely to resolve something like less drinking or less sugar. And let's face it, Eyes. You don't need either of those since you're naturally sweet and bubbly on your own. High S. You may be thinking that you want to volunteer more, but I'm hoping you'll also be resolving to take some time for yourselves to recharge your batteries since you spend a lot of it helping others. And high C. Your resolutions will likely be about learning and improving skills, be that taking courses or a long reading list to augment your knowledge. Okay. Let's get to it. From our inaugural episode, Introducing the Disc and Discovering You. People often ask me, what drew you to this career? It's one of those things that I couldn't properly articulate or even understand myself until I was several years into it. I've always been intrigued by the complexities of personality and human behavior. Sure, we have so many commonalities, but how do we understand and reconcile our differences? Doing a lot of self-reflection, I realized that I've always been frustrated when people misunderstand each other or misconstrue something. Have you ever been in a situation and you're listening to people talking and they are missing each other's points entirely? It drives me crazy when that happens and I have to resist the urge to jump in and mediate. Okay, in all honesty, I don't always resist the urge. From our most popular episode... DISC explored through the Enneagram.
1: I used to think if I was doing that, it would be because of this. Yeah. And now I understand that what motivates me isn't
0: what motivates them. Exactly.
1: It's been a game changer.
0: Yeah, you nailed it because that is the number one thing we do. We ascribe the wrong intention to the behavior we're seeing because it's not the behavior that we do. We know what's in our head. So we think, oh, if I were to speak in that tone, I'd be really mad. Well, that doesn't mean that that person is really mad in order to speak in that tone. So that is a game changer. That can really, really change the way that we go forward and connect and understand one another. It's amazing. Heather, you mentioned the opposites attract. So it reminded me of this story when I was getting my certification, The instructor talked about that and she said opposites attract and then attack. (laughs) So we all laughed and it's sort of a saying that they have there, but it does happen. If I can give you a simple example of that, let's look at someone with a high eye profile and they're married to a high C profile. During a discussion or a disagreement, the high I will likely be coming from a place of emotions, right? They'll be passionate, you'll see feelings. The C will of course be having feelings, but they're going to be coming at it from a place of logic and facts. You can see how the wires could get crossed here. The C might be telling the high eye, things like calm down, be rational, which of course will upset the high eye, And they will feel that the high C is being cold, aloof, maybe detached. Does this sound familiar to anyone? The great thing about understanding DISC is that when you understand where the behavior you're seeing is coming from, you won't misinterpret it. I tell this story quite often when I'm speaking, but I was married for a number of years before I got into this career. I certainly felt like I knew my husband really well and there were certain behaviors that I didn't love, but I accepted it. By the way, I feel like I really have to add here he's a super high D if that helps explain what I'm referring to. What changed though is my DISC knowledge allowed me to understand the behavior that I was seeing rather than just accept it. And of course, truth be told, I was misreading it. And Ds are often misunderstood. So there you go, Ds. Shout out. I I teased you, but now I'm defending you. Here's a clip from Enneagrams Continued. Interestingly, only 9% of the population is this. And I don't know about you, Heather. That makes me a little tiny bit sad. I know we're splitting hairs with a 1% difference here from a 9 to 10, but this is the least represented group. And it sounds like they're the most fun group. I'm lucky that I have a very close friend who is absolutely a type seven. How about you, Heather? I'm
1: not surprised that it's a lower percentage. I don't have a huge network of people, but I can't pinpoint anybody who's an exact type seven. Yeah. But I have to agree with you. The world would be a more fun place with more Elton Johns and Katy
0: Perry's (laughs) Listeners, if you are avid podcast listeners, I'm going to guess that at least some of you listen to Armchair Expert. Heather and I both listen to it. We're both arm (laughs) I'm going to start with DAX. I think DAX is a combination. And again, as I said at the beginning of this episode, there's more than one, just like DISC. Most people have more than one. I think that DAX is a combination of a type eight and a type four. So I'll remind you, type eight is the challenger. (laughs) And Dax really does kind of like to, I think one of the most entertaining things is when, you know, he gets into stuff with Monica and pushes back and he's always, you know, kind of looking at pushing the boundary. So I do think he would have a fair amount of eight in him. I also see four in him because of those same things, you know, with four, I was talking about the individualist and talking about things that maybe make them different and not hiding it But really being open about it, and and that's certainly a a representation of DAX. What do you think, Heather?
1: I 100% agree with that. Oh! (laughs) Well, the challenger part for sure.
0: From the episode that resonated the most with listeners, reframing introversion. I also see a discorrelation in the way cognitive capacity is expressed. Cognitive capacity refers to the total amount of information the brain is capable of retaining at any particular moment. And this amount is finite. How much capacity is being used towards a particular task at a given time is called cognitive load. For extroverts, they seem to allocate most of their capacity to accomplishing the goal at hand. This is definitely high D behavior, and sometimes I And introverts use their capacity by monitoring how the task is going, high S and high C, likely. Let me give you an example of what that means. Let's imagine an extrovert is in charge of teaching or relaying information to a group of people. The focus for them is going to be on the end result Did the group learn what they needed to? If yes, this is considered a success. For an introvert, however, they are going to be focused on how the group is reacting. They're looking around and gauging if anyone looks confused or left out, etc. So if the group ultimately learns the information, but along the way someone was uncomfortable or stressed, then that wouldn't be considered as successful to the introvert, and their energy would be absorbed by monitoring that in real time as it was happening. You can see how that would be draining. I find it fascinating to see it delineated like that. What about you, Heather? I actually am a little
1: awestruck at the moment having hearing it. (laughs) Even in myself when I'm trying to train people or trying to show people how to do things and they're not enjoying the process or it's not clicking and it's exhausting. But not in an exhausting way because they're not learning. But I'm taking on all their emotions.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You are monitoring that. And it it is. It's that it's called cognitive load. I've sometimes heard people say mental load. Often this is referred to with mothers. (laughs) how mothers sometimes when they talk about just everything that they're doing in their in their day to day life at work, but also then their children's schedules and what's going on. And so, yeah, when you think about that, that introverts are likely to carry this this different cognitive load in monitoring all those little steps along the way. I think we can see why maybe introverts kind of need a little break, they need a breather because all of that's going on. There's a famous study of introverts and extroverts, where the participants had to play a challenging word game. And they were wearing headphones with intermittent noises ringing in their ears. First of all, that sounds awful to me. But anyway, (laughs) they were allowed to adjust the volume to the level that they felt was right for them. The extroverts averaged a noise level of 72 decibels compared to the introverts who were at 55 decibels. Each group was comfortable with their noise level. So loud for extroverts, quiet for introverts, and they performed equally well in the game. You can probably guess where this is going. But when the introverts were asked to play the game at the extrovert noise level and vice versa, everything changed. Introverts were overstimulated by the loud noise and so they underperformed. For the extroverts, they were understimulated and possibly bored by the quieter conditions and they also underperformed. This really makes you think about how schools, the workplace, and the world at large is set up. You can see that some conditions will suit extroverts well, but will take a toll on introverts. I can completely relate to the noise level or
1: the volume level. Okay. I can't handle noise past a certain volume. I often say that to my husband. I'm like, can you just like turn your volume down just a little bit? And it's not like he's loud, but it's just, I can't focus when anything
0: is too loud. I'm the same. And we have those conversations in our house all the time. Although that was nice of you to say your husband wasn't too loud. I tell my husband, but I think it's true. He is the loudest human on earth.
1: Well, the other thing too is my husband can have the TV on and be watching things on his phone and Mm. all of this noise. I'm like, can you just turn one thing on? Like just have one thing. It's not even a focus thing. It's like an irritant. Totally. It feels like it's sucking the life out of me. I can 100% relate to what you're saying about like
0: workplaces being set up for introverts as opposed to extroverts. Totally. And I'm the same way. I have a really hard time tuning out distractions. People always tell me I have like fantastic hearing, but I, I don't know if I do. I just think it's that lack of, so I can be upstairs working and I can hear a conversation going on and I hear it's not going the way it should be. And so I call down something and they're like, how did you hear that? I can't tune it out. So there you go. Another well-known figure is Brene Brown, and many of you I'm sure are familiar with her work. I think we can agree that when Brene speaks, she is engaging, confident, funny, and inspiring. And this is happening in front of a large audience. It may surprise you to find out that she's an introvert. Brene has said, most people find it hard to believe, but I am an introvert. I'm comfortable speaking to 2000 people about my work, but drop me into a cocktail party with 50 people, and I'm lost. Can any of you relate? I sure can. How about you, Heather? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There is often a misconception that if you're an introvert, you won't be good at public speaking or that you don't like people. Often, as is in the case with Brene and Professor Little, it is about being purpose-driven. Speaking on a subject that they are passionate about enables them to do it with relative ease compared to a social situation where they are out of their comfort zone and have to make idle chit-chat. One thing that always made
1: sense to me, and I come back to it often, is from that very first workshop that we did mm-hmm. with you, where you're like, potentially a high C isn't going to interview well yeah. in the interview mm-hmm. process. And that is completely my entire life was like, if I can get through the interview, I will be great. But if I don't get hired, it will be because, yes. I mean, I'm not saying I would, should get every <laughs> job, but do you know what I'm saying? I don't interview well at all and so I feel very fortunate in the opportunities I have because I either skipped an interview
0: process or I got lucky or whatever but yes and and the same can be said for introverts again right so often we're going to see a high c connection there with an introvert you know because they're more they're in their head as it's going on and remember what I just talked about with the cognitive capacity so the whole time you're in your head measuring is this the right answer how am I coming across All of that stuff. And so, yeah, it's sad, we've said it before, but oftentimes a high C or an introvert, they could be absolutely 100% qualified for the role and not get it because of an interview performance. But when people like employers and people who are working with them understand where their skill set is, then they won't be excluded from it. It'll be like, you know what? This is what we need this person to do. We do need them to be analytical, reflective, thoughtful, creative, all of that kind of great stuff. Well, and vice versa too, where there's potentially Extroverts that interview great. Totally. I always say that an extrovert or a high eye will usually walk away with a job. Now, are they qualified for it? No, not always. From the So What is EQ episode? So I'm going to break down the disc factors according to type of tea. If high D was tea, what would it be? It would be chai, nice and spicy. High I would be a matcha latte, fun and very on trend. High S would be chamomile, calm and soothing. And high C would be English breakfast because that's proper. Do you drink tea, Heather? I do, I drink chai. Oh, you drink chai, (laughs) okay, well, that's interesting. That's sort of connected to your profile. I do wanna say sometimes people will tell me that their disc profile doesn't line up with the drink I've chosen, let me just clarify. It's not intended to. It's really meant to describe the essence of the T slash disc factor. So it doesn't mean you have to like it. For instance, S is my highest factor, but I don't like chamomile tea, even though I know it would be good for me to drink. However, my other two factors do line up with the drinks: English breakfast and chai. When I present this information during my sessions, I usually like to pause at this point, and I will ask the participants which one they think people are stronger in. Are we better at understanding ourselves and how to self-monitor or at understanding and influencing others? Heather, do you want to have a crack at this?
1: <laughs> I don't know what the answer is for the general population, but for myself, it's easier to recognize emotions in others than myself. I don't necessarily think it's easier to influence those emotions in others as it is in myself, but mm-hmm. definitely recognizing them, for me anyways, it feels easier. Yeah.
0: No, and that's insightful because it isn't sort of either or it's a little bit of both in that answer. So I like that. Often the answer does surprise people. We are actually better at recognizing emotions in others than ourselves. So kind of like what you said there, Heather. And the reason for that is we can pick up on visuals and behavior cues from others. So maybe their face flushes or they start fidgeting or biting their nails, and they may not be aware of that themselves. When it's us, we may be unaware that we are sending out these signals. Pre-pandemic, I used to say, we don't look into a mirror all day when we're interacting, so we don't necessarily know how we're coming across. But then along came the Zoom world, (laughs) and we actually had that opportunity. And for some of us, it was an eye-opener. And EQ Part 2 Gordon Bauer, a cognitive psychologist at Stanford University, ran a series of studies where the subjects were hypnotized to feel either happy or sad, and then they had to perform three tasks. First, they had to recall lists of words, then write entries in a diary, and finally, remember experiences from their childhood. The group who were hypnotized to feel sad recalled more somber memories, selected more negative words, and remembered more unpleasant events for their diaries. And of course, the opposite was true for those in a happy mood who recalled positive words and memories, just like me with my friends at dinner and just like you at the bonfire with your friends. Another study made a similar connection to professors grading papers. Their mood was directly correlated to the marks they assigned. Yikes, this is a bit scary, right? Does this mean we were at the mercy of our profs moods for our marks? You know, maybe I can use this theory to explain away some of my less stellar grades. But I digress. Let me give you an example. Let's say you had an argument with your spouse in the morning, or your child was upset and didn't want to go to school, but you had to drop them off in a torrent of tears. That's going to impact how you show up to the rest of your day, isn't it? This doesn't mean that those feelings have to derail your entire day, but the impact it has shouldn't be discounted. Continuing the example, you get to work after the highly charged morning and you have a meeting and your boss or perhaps a coworker challenges one of your ideas. You're probably gonna feel a little bit differently about it than you would if your morning was positive or carefree. So when you're reacting to their feedback, you're most likely carrying some of the emotion of your morning with you. And this can cause an amplification of your feelings and perhaps an overreaction. I think we can agree that this happens to all of us, but is there something we can do to check our emotional state and come into that meeting with an abundance of self-awareness? Mark Brackett developed a tool called the mood meter, which helps to determine how one is feeling. I'm fascinated that the four quadrants in the mood meter are displayed in the exact same manner as the four disc quadrants are, and it doesn't stop there. The energy and descriptors of each are super similar. The top left quadrant in the mood meter is red, and it's high energy, which totally correlates to high D being very externalized, strong behavior. The top right quadrant is yellow, which is also the positions and color of high I, and the energy is outgoing and positive. The bottom right quadrant is green, just like high S, and it's a lower energy, more calm and reflective. And finally, the bottom left quadrant is high C blue, which is also lower energy and introspective. Here's a clip from my conversation with Kathleen Black. Was because we were conserving our energy and our focus on our upcoming talk rather than depleting it by networking and making small talk with the people in the room. It's taken me quite a bit of time to lean into my knowledge of this. I've often felt guilty or worried in the past that people would think I was being rude or aloof. And that word has definitely followed me around most of my life. I'm curious, Kathleen, have you felt this way? And how do you handle that?
2: I don't know if it's rude or aloof. I've definitely been people tell me that I'm like, I'm intimidating, which I find funny, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you know me, I I don't think I'm that way at all. But to say, yeah, I just seem intimidating. But I think You know that day of that event. I also like was traveling there, and then I was leaving for the airport, and then I was flying to another function. Like I had many things on the go, and I have definitely learned that I need to preserve my energy. Like I can get tired. Like I'm naturally very empathic as a person Mm. as well. I have a very vivid inner world. Yeah. So there's a lot. I'm never alone. There's a lot going on all the time. So I, I say I'm very much the same. I do need to protect my energy. And coming out of COVID, I've been much more much more sensitive to it. In fact, and I've talked to a lot of other speakers and, and introverted speakers, ironically, because I'm connected to quite a few. Yep. And the same thing to the level, it's not really a discussion today, but to the level it's created some like physical anxiety symptoms. in some of us, including yeah. me, I'm um, coming into COVID because it's such a shift from being home and, you know, zoom and all of a sudden you're out with people. So I've been very careful managing my energy. Like I'm not going out the day before conferences. I'm not staying afterwards. Like I need that renewal time and I need to realign inside. That's a really important part of my personality. Totally.
0: And yeah, I'm really glad that you said that and shared that because it's true. And first of all, I think, it's really important to point out what you just said. You know, you said fellow speakers, and then you mentioned the word introverted. And there is this perception that public speakers are massive extroverts. And yet, so here we are having this conversation, and we're not. We're in good company with Brene Brown, Susan Kane, Like, there's so many people. It is that very interesting misperception about that. And for me, I feel like the power of my introversion is observation, sitting back, observing, reading the room, reflecting, contemplating. You learn a lot more from listening than talking. From our exploration of grit, I think the way that we answer things can vary greatly. And I know this from working with you, Heather, (laughs) is that I think you're probably harder on yourself than maybe other people would. So I think that even Mm. when scoring it, I can see you being more conservative on the estimate, right? So instead of hitting... I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. The reason this occurs to me is, you know, I do EQ training with people. And this also plays a large role. When you have an assessment that is self-directed, so it's asking you, right? A piece like self-awareness comes in. But people who tend to work to very high standards, so guess what? High C for you. I have a high C too. They tend to not maybe see things the same way that somebody, let's say, who's a high eye, who's very optimistic. And it's like, yeah, sure, that's me. I'm guessing that maybe in some of the ones where maybe it should have been very much like me, you might have just been modest and picked mostly like me.
1: Oh, that's good perspective. I hadn't thought of that. I was pretty disappointed in myself. <laughs> but that's still a really, that's a pretty gritty
0: scar, Heather. Yeah, yeah,
1: it is. It is.
0: The mindset episode. Mindsets change the meaning of failure. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it got my attention. In a fixed mindset, there is danger of failure being transformed from an action, I failed, to an identity, I am a failure. Quite a difference, right? Professor Dweck says when people believe in fixed traits, they are always in danger of being measured by failure it can define them in a permanent way. When people believe their basic qualities can be developed, failure will still hurt, but it won't define them. If change and growth are possible, then there are still many paths to success. Another benefit of having a growth mindset is that it changes the meaning of effort. Remember the tortoise and hare and the little engine that could stories from childhood? Dweck references them to make a poignant observation concerning effort the tales were clearly constructed with the intention of praising effort. Ironically, the message that comes through, though, is that effort is for plotters, and when talented people drop the ball, the plotter can sneak through. The problem is that these stories set it up as an either-or. Either you have ability, or you expend effort. This is very much a fixed mindset. Effort is for those who don't have the ability. If you have to work at something, you must not be good at it. Do you see what the impact of that mindset is? And finally, another fan favorite, agreeableness. have to be honest here. I answered mostly inaccurate because I am a Scorpio. Kind of tongue in cheek, but those of you who know things about <laughs> Scorpios, we tend to not let things go too easily. I'm the opposite.
1: I'm a Pisces. <laughs> so I answered inaccurate again. I don't really have it in me to get back at people. I'm more likely to be like, and we're done and walk away.
0: Okay. But that'd be the end of it as well. Fair enough. I mean, that's, I think, a healthier approach. And certainly as I've gotten older and more mature, I, you know, realize that when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, like, oh, yeah, different story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not that this is about horoscopes, but both my sisters are Scorpios. So I completely
0: understand. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that's funny. I have this cute little clutch that my mom bought me and she actually got them for all the girls in the family. And it's got like a little hashtag on it. So depending on your style, for my daughter, who's an Aries, I think it was like hashtag the best. And of course, for me being a Scorpio, it's hashtag you will regret that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Feels like my whole childhood. (laughs) Oh, no, poor Heather. A Pisces among Scorpios. What was yours, Heather? Mine was average. Uh, which was higher than I expected. <laughs> <To be>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this. It's not necessarily what we were expecting, the whole agreeableness thing. I guess I thought it was sort of like, you know, people who are just debating, who always want to get into something and give you the contrary position. And and I thought it might be a little bit of that, but it turned out not really to be. I am going to get into this a little bit more. And I think it's worth mentioning and this is a theme that runs throughout this Discovering You podcast, there's always a flip side. For something that may be your greatest strength, there is a counterbalance that could present your toughest challenge. While it may seem great to be high in agreeableness, it can also be a struggle to assert your preferences, uh, to set boundaries, put yourself first, things like that. I hope you enjoyed this compilation of our 2022 episodes. Heather, when you were listening back and editing, did one jump out as your favorite? It's funny that you say that because
1: I was editing it and laughing at some <laughs> of these clips that you'd chosen for the montage. And I honestly think this might be my favorite episode. Oh. That being said, the whole disc everything has been a game changer for me. So I'll always think that first episode is probably my favorite.
0: Okay. I kind of tend to agree with you. It was nice to hear it all as kind of a highlight reel and, and revisit some things. But I would say probably for me, the reframing introversion episode, and I think it was more in the feedback I received on it, because there was listeners who said, oh, finally, you know, now people maybe understand this. Or they didn't even understand it themselves, but were like, oh, that's why I'm so exhausted. I didn't know about things like cognitive load or, or stuff like that. And even people who aren't introverts who are saying thank you because now I have a better understanding of my loved ones. I would have to pick that one. I'd like to thank you listeners for your support in 2022. And I'm wishing all of you a happy holiday season and all the best in the new year. Happy holidays. If you're interested in
1: connecting with Victoria for team building, strategic onboarding, coaching, or a speaking engagement, you can contact her at discoverwhatworks at gmail.com.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember, send in your questions to be featured on a future episode and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app.